0: that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. Because what happens in the synagogue is we read through the Megillah, which is the book of Esther, which is a separate scroll among the variety of scrolls that the Jewish people will read through on various occasions. And as we read through the book of Esther, we remind ourselves of the story of how God has... Protected his people and saved them. When we come to the name of Haman. We can use our groggers. But not until then. Not until then. You can use our groggers. You can boo, hiss, the whole thing. Because in Exodus chapter 17. When the Jewish people were coming out of Egypt. The first people that attacked the Jewish people were the Amalekites. And that's the story of when Joshua led the battle of the Israelites against the Amalekites. As long as Moses had his hands raised, the Jewish people were victorious. As he got tired, his hands would fall down to his side. And so Aaron and Hur held up his arms so that the Israelites would be victorious. And in the victory of the battle, God then said... I will wage war with the Amalekites from generation to generation until they are no more. Later, in the book of Samuel, God through Samuel had instructed Saul to kill Agag, who was an Amalekite. Saul did not kill Agag. Samuel was angry over this. Samuel took his own sword and slew Agag, the king of the Amalekites. As time goes on and we read the book of Esther, we learn that Haman was an... (laughs) Jag was starting something with me. I could see it in his eyes. We learn that that evil one in the book of Esther was an Agagite, a descendant of Agag, which means he was an Amalekite. And so we continue the tradition along with the Lord that we would wipe out the Amalekites from generation to generation. So whenever we mention the Amalekite, we make noise and we boo and hiss. Now the book of Esther is a fascinating story, the queen. The events take place between 480 and 470, 100 years before the time of Messiah. In actuality, it fits with between the chapters six and seven of the book of Ezra. And when the story opens up, we find that Xerxes... Achashverosh, that's how I remember referring to the king of Persia in synagogue. Then when I was in college or seminary, it was Ajuaris, and that was always very strange to me. But when King Xerxes, that's his Greek name, Ahashverosh, threw a party, a banquet, it says in chapter one that he gathered, thank you. He, he gathered all of his military advisors, it says in the text, his noblemen and officials. What spurred on the banquet was the king's plan to invade the Greeks. And so around 476 or so, the Persians will invade Greece. This is in preparation for that moment. Just sort of putting it into a historical context. He gathers his officials, noblemen, military advisors to have a banquet. The banquet, we're told, lasts for 180 days. Which is really kind of neat, isn't it? You know, half a year, we're just going to party. You know, what's that story? And and party all night long. What's the first word? that? Oh, year long. (laughs) But for 180 days, they're celebrating. And then Vashti, his wife, also has a banquet. And when that banquet is over, the king calls for Vashti to display her beauty before all of those who are gathered. Vashti, of course, doesn't want anything to do with this. She has her own party to worry about. She doesn't want to deal with the guys on the other side of the court or the other side of the palace. So she doesn't show up. The king is furious, but more importantly, the noblemen and advisors are really concerned because they're afraid that if the queen does not obey the king, all the women throughout the kingdom will not obey their husbands. And we can't have any of that kind of stuff in the kingdom of Persia. And so his advisors tell the king, hey, listen, what you need to do is get rid of Vashti and get another queen that you can handpick for yourself. So they have what amounts to a beauty pageant. And all the women are displayed before Ahasuerus, the king. We're told that as Esther is presented... As Esther is presented, the king is infatuated with her. And he sees her beauty and he is drawn to her. He chooses her as his queen. But before she is presented to him as such, for a full year, she has ten maidens assigned to her. I don't know if, if a, a Matina is here. Is Matina here? This morning? I don't see. Oh, she is here. Ten Matinas attached because she's a beautician. Ten matinas is attached to Esther and for a whole year they beautify her. For six months of the year they use all kind of oils to get her, her skin like as smooth as it can possibly be made and they just pour into her all of these beauty treatments for a full year. That's got to help any of us, right? It's got to help any of us. And then she's, not especially me, and then she's presented to the queen, king and the king accepts her. Now at the end of chapter 2, we find that while all this is going on, Mordecai, who is her cousin, is caring for her. And he tells her, do not, do not, do not, under any circumstances, let the king know you're Jewish. And so Esther has kept that quiet from this point on through the whole story, at least until the end. But Mordecai is at the king's gate. And the king's gate is like where all the civil action goes on. And while he is at the king's gate, he overhears two of the king's Close associates, Big Fana and Teresh, who are plotting to assassinate the king. Mordecai Yay! overhears this and informs the king through the proper channels that there is an assassination attempt on his life. They investigate it and they find this to be true. They save the king's life. They punish the two uh, antagonists. And in the chronicles of the books of the king, the story is laid out for the king to remember. So in chapter 3, after these events, King Ahashverosh honored Haman. Oh. Now, you guys were a little slow on that. There was a little hesitation that, you know, and if we do that, we'll be here till five this evening, ready for Sally Klein to do her concert. So we'll try that again. So after these events, no, 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 that was too soon. I was just testing you. I was a champion Simon Says leader. So after these events, King Ahasuerus (laughs) honored Haman, son of Amadatha the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. For the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay any honor. The royal officials asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was Jewish. And when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him any homage, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. And instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Somebody's got to open a window. It's just getting a little too... Okay. So, in the 12th year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, they cast the lot, the poor. That's what the word poor means, lot. And a lot of lots (laughs) is where we get the word (laughs) "porim," which means lots. Lots and lots and lots of lots. And in the presence of Haman... (laughs) Oh, boy. To select a day and month. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Then Haman hey! said to king Ahasuerus, there's a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom whose customs are different from those of all other people and who do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. So the king took his signet ring and signed this decree that gave Haman the enemy of the Jews. And Haman said... I mean, the king said, <laughs> it's, it's the glasses. It's um, so we're, oh, so <laughs> the king said, uh, keep the money and do with the people as you please. So the thir- 13th day of the month of Adar becomes the day when the Jewish people come be open season to anyone who would want to harm or persecute them. So spurred on by the king's command, the couriers went out. The edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. And once it was signed with the king's ring, the decree could not be reversed. So the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa was bewildered. Now, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes. He went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jewish people. With fasting, weeping, wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And when Esther's maids And eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai. She was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hattach, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hatach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him, Everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jewish people. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. So Hatach went back, reported to Esther Aww. what Mordecai Yay. had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, Yay. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to the king. And when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jewish people will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, that you you have come to royal position for such a time as this. So Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jewish people who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. So on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw the queen standing in the court, he was pleased with her. He held out the golden scepter that was in his hand. And so Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be given you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king come together with Haman. Come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine, the king asked Esther, How? Now? What is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king... And Haman, come tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's request, king's question. So Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence he was filled with rage against Mordecai Yay! nevertheless Haman hey! restrained himself and went home calling together his friends and Zerush's wife Haman hey! he boasted to them about his vast wealth his many sons In all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all. Haman added, I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction." As long as I see Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows built 75 feet high. Ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go with the king to dinner and be happy. This suggestion delighted Haman. He had the gallows built. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the books of the chronicles of the king, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found there that Mordecai exposed Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Achashverosh. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said the next day, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had built for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing at the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. And when Haman entered, the king asked him, what do you think would be a good idea to do for the man the king delights to honor? So now Haman... Thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king For the man the, de- the, for the, man the king delights to honor, have him bring a royal ro- robe the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden upon, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe And horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him. This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate do not neglect anything you have recommended so Haman got the robe and the horse he robed Mordecai he led him on horseback through the city streets he proclaimed before him this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet. Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on that second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, O king, if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. Spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had been merely sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet. Because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, The adversary and enemy? The adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. Then, Haman. Was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. And just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman... was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she's with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, (laughs) one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, You know, Akashverosh, A gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He made it for Mordecai, who saved your life, (laughs) who spoke up to help the king. The king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the king's fury subsided. And because the king had signed this decree to harm the Jewish people with the royal signet ring, and therefore couldn't change the decree because it was understood that the gods had worked through his hand and had sealed that decree with their own authority, he couldn't change. What was already decreed, but he issued a second decree, which would permit the Jewish people to defend themselves. And so on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned and the Jewish people got the upper hand over those who hated them. We're told then... That on this occasion, later in chapter 9, Mordechai recorded these events. He sent letters to all the Jewish people throughout the provinces of King Ahasuerus, near and far, to have them celebrate every year. Not the 13th day of Adar, interestingly enough, but the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar. As the time when the Jewish people got relief from their enemies. And as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration, he wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jewish people agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. King Ahasuerus imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores and all his acts of power and might together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai hey! to which the king had raised him. Are they not written in the books of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew hey! was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, preeminent among the Jewish people, held in high esteem by his fellow Jews, because he worked for the good of his people, and he spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Wow. I do this every year, and it never seems to grow stale, does it? It's always such a great, great reflection of God's work. Of course, you notice throughout the reading of the book of Esther, never once did we make reference to God. In the book of Esther, God has not made reference to But we see his hand operating through the events. And the thing that excites me about that, or maybe encourages me about that, is that is more often than not the way my life is lived. You know, we don't oftentimes hear the voice of God telling us, do this or do that. And we have a sense of confidence that this is what God would have me to do. This is what God spoke with clarity for me to do or for a place for me to go. But rather what happens more often than not is by faith, we trust God, we move in our world, we take action, we make decisions, we exercise our will. And when we look back, we say, ah, there was the hand of God. Ah, that is where God showed up. For me, that's what this book encourages me in. Because so often when I talk with people or when I reflect on my own life, if only God would tell me what he has for me to do, I would do it in a heartbeat. At least that's what I think. Then I remember Moses, who was very clearly told what God wants him to do. I want you to go back to Pharaoh, to Egypt. And I want you to tell them, let my people go. Any one of us, if we knew they would walk through the Red Sea if we knew that we would have gotten to Mount Sinai and been handed these stone tablets written with the finger of God, if we knew that we would be ones that could just speak to a rock and water would come out or cry out to God and manna would fall from the sky or we would enter to the very border of the promised land, any one of us would do it. But Moses did not know any of those things. He only knew what he Presently had experienced and it was a question mark in his mind and thus what does he say to God send me like Isaiah I will go no he says I think you have the wrong guy <laughs> God says no I think I have the right guy he says but wait a minute I really don't speak well I will speak for you I'm not very good at doing things by myself I'm sending your brother with you And on and on the excuses came until God was angry with Moses. The book of Esther is very encouraging to me because we don't have to know what God's plan or purposes is for our lives. We have to live our life as unto him. And sometimes the things we think are mistaken decisions are the very decisions God wanted us to make. And sometimes the decisions that we make that we're very confident about is exactly what God wanted. He's saying, I'm still with you, but you missed. You made a left turn. I was headed right, but I'm still with you. And I'll get you to the end result that I have for you. The point is, if Esther refused, help would have come from another place. And so for me, the story is about God is a trustworthy God. As we sang, he's an on-time God all the time. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen? And one other thing I just want to say, and this phrase struck me in a way that I had not thought about before. When the evil one goes back to his family... They say to him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, here's the phrase, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against them. That phrase is to remind us of what God had said to Abraham. I will bless them that bless thee, but I will curse them that curse thee. And what the evil one's family members knew, though we don't know how they knew it, but what they knew was simply because Mordecai was a member of God's chosen people, their devices could not stand against him because in doing so, so they were in actuality standing against God. In our own day and age, And throughout the history of the world, there have been those who have attempted to annihilate and destroy God's chosen people. Some have done it or attempted to do it through enslavement, like the Egyptians. Some have attempted to do it through warfare, such as the Romans, the Greeks, any of the ancient tribes during the time of Joshua. Some have tried to do it through anti-Semitic legislation as recorded in the book of Esther. And all of these mechanisms have been attempted throughout history. Whether we think of the Crusades, when we think of these nations that have expelled Jewish people from their land simply because they are Jews. Whether it's because of the Nazis who had, it, had instituted an anti-Semitic policy. Whether it's the Arab states who continue to wage war against the Jewish people, it doesn't matter what course one will take because God's hand is upon his chosen people. To be at war with them is to be at war with God. And to be at war with God is always a losing proposition. And so the book of Esther reminds us of God's loving care, compassion, and grace for his chosen people. We would be wise, when I say wise, all believers everywhere and anywhere, we would be wise to take note of what God's word has said about his chosen people. To do otherwise is to put one in a very precarious state, not only in this life, but indeed in the life to come. So this is a wonderful moment in our calendar year. All churches should be doing this in reminding themselves of God's faithfulness to his people, which is the basis upon which we know of God's faithfulness to us. For as Paul says in Romans, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua. Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing can separate us. And the question is, how do we know that? And Paul's response is, it's because he continues to save Jewish people. As long as he continues to save Jewish people, he's demonstrating his faithfulness to all believers everywhere. That his love for them will never end. So how do we know of God's great love for us? How do we know that nothing can separate us? We know it because of God's preserving grace and protection extended toward his people, the Jewish people. So we celebrate our Lord for his faithfulness to his people whom he has chosen and his faithfulness to us who are assured of such faithfulness. Because of what he's done for his people who he has called out from all the nations of the world. Father, we thank you for this morning. We are thrilled that we could be ones who are on your side. We are greatly privileged individuals to know you. To know Messiah who has come. To experience salvation in all of its manner, in all of its parts. And that now we have been forgiven and we always shall be forgiven of you. And we stand guiltless before you, accepted by you because of what Messiah has done for us. We look forward to his soon coming and reigning and the transformation that will occur on this earth in all peoples and particularly with regard to your chosen people. We are thankful, Father, for your preserving grace. We are thankful, Lord, for the way that you defend your own from their enemies. And we pray, Father, that we would be encouraged by the lives of Esther and Mordecai to exhibit great courage in the face of adversity Great devotion to you in every kind of need. A sense of mourning when there is reason to grieve. And a sense of celebration when you provide us with reason to rejoice. We are grateful, Lord, for your overwhelming love and compassion. And we pray in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled dot L.org.